0: Well, I'm Aaron Poore. I'm the associate pastor here at Journey Church and uh, Pastor Sean, our lead pastor, asked me to speak this weekend. And uh, I'm, I'm glad he did uh, because, you know, I, I want to just say real quick, I started off this week with just kind of an idea that I thought, oh, that'd be a good thing to talk about. And I kind of even had a whole outline worked out and everything. And then Tuesday morning, I just got something completely different, and I really believe that what we're going to do today, it's not so much a sermon as it is an activity, what we're going to do today is going to be a game-changing, paradigm-shifting thing for some people in this place. It's make a big difference. Amen. So what I want to do is I want us to talk about communion. But to do that, I wanna just kind of zoom out and get a long range uh, approach to it. So we're going to get there, but uh, let me just lay a little bit of foundation. So how many of you guys know what an interface is? I have an interface right here. It's kind of really just an idea, and uh, I wanna kind of do a little bit of show and tell today. So an interface, is something that goes in line between one thing and another thing that allows those two things to communicate or allows something, information or something like that to flow through from um, a source to a destination. So in practical terms here, I have an interface right here that This is one of the things I would have to use if I wanted to say record my guitar on my computer. Like my guitar doesn't talk to my computer. They're not on speaking terms. They just don't connect. Uh, But if I use this interface, I can plug the guitar into the interface and I can plug the computer into the interface and then the sound of the guitar can flow through into my computer where it can be recorded. So I need an interface for that to happen. Okay, so our bodies, our physical bodies, in a way, are an interface. It's an interface for our soul. Now when I say soul, I'm talking about our mind, will, and emotions. So in other words, our thoughts, our choices, and our feelings. Now, those three things, our thoughts, choices, and feelings, are abstract, right? You don't physically see them with your physical eyes. But they get manifested in the physical world when we use our bodies to communicate them, to pass them on. So, in other words, my mind can't communicate directly with your mind. I have to form words, your ears have to hear the words, and then your mind Understands what I'm saying. So our body is like an interface between our soul, mind, will, and emotions, and the physical world. It passes through to, to, to make it from here out here. All right, let's take it a, one more step further to kind of get into our point here. Our soul is actually an interface as well. Our soul, mind, will, and emotions, is an interface between our spirit, okay, and our body, or the natural world, or the world we see and experience with our five physical senses. Our soul is an interface. Now, you might be thinking, okay, okay, we're getting, we're getting too complicated here. Well, listen, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us that we are a 3 Part being, okay. We are spirit, soul, and body. So our body is uh, the five physical senses. You know what you see, taste, touch, all that stuff. Soul, mind, will, and emotions. And our spirit is that part of us that was made new. New life was created when we were born again, and and I can I can demonstrate that to you right now. So. If one of you, if somebody comes in here today and you give your life to Jesus, right? And let's say you come in here and you are follically challenged like I am, right? When you give your life to Jesus, you're not going to have new hair. It just doesn't work that way because your body is not born again. If you read John chapter 3, Jesus has an interesting conversation with Nicodemus about this very thing. And, and so your body's not born again. By the same way, your soul is not born again in that moment. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. It, your soul begins a journey of being transformed into the image of God. Praise the Lord. But it is not immediately completely transformed into, because think about it, you get born again, you can still have, it's still possible to have a sinful thought or things like that because you're on a journey, you're in a process of being transformed. But your spirit, that's where the new life is. That's where the endless joy, the perfect peace, all those things that we wish we could just, you know, man, I want to have, I read the Bible, I see the promises of God, I see about this perfect love, I I, I read about this perfect peace, I, I read about this joy of the Lord as my strength, all these things that I need so bad. I want these things in my life, but they just seem like words on a page and not a real experience. That might be because... The truth that exists in your spirit is having a hard time making it through your mind, your will, and your emotions. Go ahead and put that slide up that kind of demonstrates. So, you see, this is how we are composed. This is how God designed us. We are a spirit. We are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. And if we want the truth that we know is in God's Word, because we read it in black and white, to actually make its way into our experience in our natural world, that truth has to travel from our spirit where it exists right now. Galatians says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So in your spirit right there... You are. You have the righteousness of Jesus. If you want that reality to be manifest in the physical, then it has to travel through the interface of your soul. Amen. So what that means is this, it's, it's actually really good news. When our soul aligns with the truth of God's word and the reality of his kingdom, transforming power flows uh, through us from the Spirit into the natural. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 2, I figure out a way to work this verse in almost every time. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be discerned what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Why is it that the renewal, think about this, why is it that the renewal of your mind brings transformation? Why is that? Let's not just read the words and say, okay, good to go. Let's ask ourselves, why is it that the renewing of our mind brings transformation? It's because, put that last slide up again. It's because the truth and the reality of the kingdom of God in our spirit can travel through the interface of our mind into our natural experience, if we will line ourselves up. Uh, so, if your soul gets bogged down with things like negative, overpowering emotions, with things like wrong thinking or religious thinking, uh, you can sometimes forget who God says that you are and what God has done for you and actually live in a lesser reality than God intended. So why am I talking about interfaces and body, soul, spirit and all that? Because communion, listen, communion is one of the most powerful prophetic reminders that we have that renews our mind to the reality of what Jesus has done and lines our soul up with the truth of the kingdom of God. So if you find yourself in that spot where it's like, okay, I get it. I have this, the Bible says that I have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead inside me. But man, I am not experiencing that power in my life. Or I know the Bible says that inside me is, the Bible describes it kind of poetically as a river of living water, right? Right? Or a well of joy. These really overpowering words, descriptive words about the truth and the reality of of God inside of us. But I just am not experiencing it. Communion is a powerful reminder that lines our soul up with the truth of the word of God. And allows that truth to move through into our natural experience. So, we're going to take communion But we're going to take a little more time and just go really deep into what it is. Um, Communion today is a core element or ordinance of the church and Christian life. And um, depending on your background, you know, how you came up in church or if you did at all, you may have a different approach to this idea or you may not know anything about it at all. But there is something there that is so critical, so core, so crucial, that if we don't recognize this practice for what it is, then we really do miss out. So I want to give you kind of a background first on communion. And I was watching a video that uh, Pastor Lee Cummings had, just a little short thing, about just the basic foundation of what communion is this week. And I really don't feel like I can do a better job explaining it than he does. So let's just go ahead and watch it together.
1: Today, I wanna talk to you about an important element or ordinance or sacrament of the Christian church called communion. It's oftentimes called Holy Communion or the Eucharist or just communion. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper. What is communion and why is it significant? On the last night that Jesus had with his disciples as he had them gathered around a table, Jesus took bread and he took wine and he instituted an ordinance for the church. It says that he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he encouraged his disciples and he said, eat this, take this, for this is my body broken for you. Then Jesus took the cup. And he blessed it and he gave it. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Take and drink this. Then Jesus said, and this is Luke chapter 22. He said, I will not drink of this until I drink it new with you in the kingdom. And he gave them the bread and he gave them the wine just before he went to the cross where he suffered and his body truly was broken and where his blood was shed for our sins. Ever since that time, when Christians gather and worship, they have celebrated communion together as a remembrance of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. We take the bread, and when we receive it, we're reminded of the price that Jesus paid for our sins. We're also reminded of Isaiah chapter 53, in which The Bible prophesies the Messiah coming and suffering in our place and it says that by his stripes we are healed. There's very often a discerning of the Lord's body when we receive the bread in which healing takes place, body, soul, and spirit in a believer's life. When we drink the cup, we're reminded that it was his precious blood that was shed that has brought peace and reconciliation between us and God the Father, through the blood that Jesus shed. So when we take the bread and the wine and we do it in remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross, it's a powerful, powerful event in which God's presence is there with us, reminding us and softening our hearts once again with gratitude for the gift that Jesus gave us. And when we do it together with other believers, it's a very unifying sacrament a unifying event in which we remember salvation isn't about you or me. Salvation was wrought by our savior, Jesus Christ. And it becomes the centerpiece of our faith. It's very simple, but it's very powerful. And we need to celebrate communion more often, even as the day of the Lord's return approaches. If you have never received communion, or if maybe you've taken it and you really haven't understood the significance let me encourage you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to communicate to your heart how significant and important it is. And the next time you have the opportunity to receive the Lord's Supper or communion, do it prayerfully, do it honoring, and do it as an act of worship. Do it with believers and let the importance and the significance of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection renew your faith day by day.
0: All right. So that's a good overview, kind of a foundation for communion. And what I want to do is look at a biblical account of communion, but I don't want to go back to the Gospels. I want to instead to go to 1 Corinthians, where Paul is teaching the church on communion. Okay? And so 1 Corinthians 11.23, let's take a little section of this right now. For I received... Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take communion, we are proclaiming. Last week I talked a little bit about proclamation, declaration, prophetic prayer. That's what this is. When we take communion, we are proclaiming, I was saved I am saved and I will be saved. And really, we are declaring the beginning to the end of the redemptive gospel. We're declaring from the point of Jesus on the cross all the way to his return. And so communion is a prophetic proclamation. It's a prophetic proclamation. It's way, way beyond just a symbolic remembrance. There's something much more significant that is actually happening when you take communion. Verse 24 says, Jesus says, this is my body when he's holding the bread. Now, let's talk about that for just a second. Jesus did not say this represents my body. He said, this is my body. And I just want to, I want to address that. There are some streams of faith that take that very, very literally. There are some streams of faith that take that very, very symbolically. And I'm just going to dig into it just a little bit. If, If you're from a, A Catholic tradition, they take that very, very literally. But I believe there are some Protestant traditions that take it too loosely and too symbolically. And so this is is the way that I approach this, okay? When I hold the bread, I'm going to treat it with the same honor, and reverence as if I were holding the broken body of Christ. That's the way I approach it. Uh, and so, th- th- and this is what I believe Jesus intended as well. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's keep going in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Look at verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have died. Discerning the body. We could talk about two at least two possible interpretations of what that might mean. But I want to connect back to more scripture and say, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it tells us that the body of Jesus, the stripes on the body of Jesus, are the legal basis for our healing. And so we see a direct connection to what happened. Think about this. A direct connection to what happened to the body of Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5 and 1 Peter are not referring to the blood of Jesus in those particular scriptures. They're referring to the body. And so this verse says, Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself that's why many of you are weak sick and some have died if the legal basis for our healing according to scripture is the stripes of jesus or the or the the body of jesus then that's why i go to such great lengths to honor and revere the bread and i remind myself of that truth when I take the bread. So this is what we do. Uh, 1 Peter 2.24 it says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I treat this at the same time as a as a holy, uh, awe-filled moment, a divine encounter with God. And at the same time, I treat it as a legal proceeding. Does that make sense? There has been a statement and a declaration made in scripture that says that I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. So what was done, the payment was made then for what I get to experience now. And so when I take the bread, I hold the bread and I declare by his stripes, I was healed. But I don't stop there. I declare that over everyone in my house. And I take time. And I go through each person in my home. By his stripes, Sarah was healed. By his stripes, Kelsey was healed. Any pain must go. By his stripes, Kayla, and I just bring Kayla and Andrew and this baby that's coming, and I just, I don't leave anybody out. And I declare this reality and this truth over every person. And so I take a little bit of time with the bread. And so this is, this is what I want to do. Um, we have communion elements here, and we're going to worship, but this time of worship is meant for you to take communion. But this is the thing I wanna tell you to do. When you get your communion elements, just take the bread out, the little cracker, the little wafer, just take that out. Don't open the other side yet. We're gonna do that separately. So right now, as we come into this time, I'm gonna pray. And then I want to welcome you to come and get the communion elements. Let's go ahead and stand right now. Father, we want to thank you right now, God, that you have instituted this practice for us. Lord, you have given us this welcome to agree with you on your what your word says about what you've done for us. And God, we're going to take you up on that right now, Lord, and we're going to enter in to faith. And declare your word. And Jesus, we are going to remember what you have done, Lamb of God. Amen. Come and go ahead and get uh, your communion elements. Thank you for the cross, Lord. So the blood of Jesus is the legal basis for all victory say this say the blood of Jesus sets me free the blood of Jesus say it again the blood of Jesus sets me free you will be living in and enjoying the effects of the blood of Jesus for all eternity you will never get to a point in your existence where you no longer enjoy what was won for you by the blood of jesus it will always be relevant it will always be relevant now when the lord's supper was first instituted they were celebrating passover now passover in passover the sacrificed lamb was offered for a household, for a family. And we know that when someone comes to Jesus and is saved, that it's whosoever, right? It's, it's, a, it's a person who is responding to the love of God and, and giving their life to God. But I believe, and I think scripture backs this up, that the heart of God is for family salvation. I believe that you have every right to claim and declare that your loved ones, your family members come to know Jesus as their savior. So you may have parents, siblings, uh, uh, kids, a spouse who doesn't know the Lord. Uh, You're going to take each one And in faith, claim them for the family of God and say, Father, bring them home. So when we get into this this part of communion with the blood, uh, I, I, I like to do that. And I like to, now everybody in my home is serving Jesus. But there are people that we have that are related to us that are not. And I take them before God and I say, Lord, I claim them for your family. I claim them for your kingdom, Lord, right now. Again, I said, I treat this as a divine and a holy moment. And I also think of this as somewhat of a legal procedure. And so I plead the blood of Jesus over those people. And the other thing that I do is I do turn uh, my attention to the people in my house and I make this declaration. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I do that when I, when I, when I take the juice the, you know, that represents the blood of the covenant. So uh, we're going to use this moment and we're going to dedicate our home to God. And we're going to claim the, the souls, the lives of loved ones who are far from God for his family. Amen. So we're going to do this now. And let me pray. And we're going to do one more song. Jesus we thank you Lord for the blood that you shed for us we thank you Lord God that the sacrifice you made for us is everything it's everything it's everything we will never grow out of enjoying what you did for us we will never get beyond it for all of eternity lord your sacrifice will be relevant will be significant and lord your blood is the basis for all victory the blood of jesus sets me free and lord god we remember right now what it is that you did for us we're getting ready to dismiss but i want to say one more thing you can just stay standing this is, this is one of those, if you remember one thing, remember this thing kind of things. And this, that's this, you can take communion every day. You can take communion every day. I took communion twice yesterday. I'm gonna take it twice today. You can take communion every day. And there are some streams of faith that require a pastor or a priest to administer communion and i'm not trying to uh you know downplay anything or any the way anybody does anything or anything like that but i do want to say this all jesus said was as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me and you know so communion is one of the most holy acts that you will do In this life, and you can do it with Kool Aid and a graham cracker. You can, because there is nothing holy about Welch's grape juice. that's That's not what's holy. These little things that we order are not holy. What's holy is the moment, the remembrance, the covenant that it binds us to. And above all, what's holy is the Lamb of God. And you can take communion every day. Listen, if you wake up and feel sick, take communion. If you wake up and you feel anxious or or fearful, take communion. What communion is doing is it is prophetically connecting you to the covenant that you have with God. And so it's a powerful, powerful thing to do. And so if you have a prayer need, come up here. We are waiting to pray with you. Uh, Other than that, thank you guys for coming out. Take communion. You're dismissed.